Well, you've, you've heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, right? Uh, and what that means, generally, is, you know, sometimes the longer you spend with somebody, uh, sometimes their warts and their flaws start to come out, and all of a sudden the person that you thought was so wonderful perhaps wasn't quite as wonderful uh, as you had once thought. Uh, well, familiarity breeds contempt is, is uh, one phrase that we use to, to, to describe people sometimes. Uh, but sometimes when I think about it in terms of our scripture reading, it's not so much familiar, familiarity breeds contempt, obviously. We love to read the scriptures. But sometimes familiarity does breed a certain sense of complacency, perhaps, or just maybe simply lack of awe or lack of amazement, because we've, we've all heard these stories so many times uh, in the past. And, and uh, I think that, that if we are not careful, they can become rote to us. They can become so familiar uh, that they just lose their majesty and their splendor. And I want us to, to really avoid that as best we can. Uh, so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to read from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And, and this is the story of Mary being visited by the angel Gabriel, uh, who informs her that she is about to give birth uh, to the Messiah. Uh, and as, I, as we hear it, uh, as we listen to it again for uh, the hundredth, the, the thousandth time, who knows? I wonder if we can just think of it, uh, try and hear it for the first time, uh, as though we had never heard this story before, uh, as Mary heard this story for the first time. She had never heard this story before when the angel Gabriel visited her, so I wonder if we can, can try and think of it with fresh ears. So let's just try to set the scene a little bit as we think about this, uh, this story. Mary was probably a 14 to 15-year-old girl at the time that these events happened, uh, the events of Gabriel's revelation to her. Uh, so just picture yourself as a 14, 15-year-old girl. Uh, if that's too long in the past for you, think of your daughter. Uh, think of your granddaughter, uh, somebody who you know who's about that age. And, and just try and imagine them uh, on a night like this, a young, uh, innocent, naive, uh, probably, you know, doing her nightly chores or whatever it was that, that she was doing uh, in the village where she lived. Now, she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. He was probably slightly older than her, uh, and probably the marriage was arranged by their parents uh, together. Uh, so uh, Mary, think of her just working at, you know, under a starry sky at night. Uh, perhaps she's uh, collecting water, maybe she's making bread, maybe she's mending clothes, whatever her nightly chores were. Just, just try and imagine her. Uh, what is she doing on this night? She's 14, 15 years old. She's probably thinking about her impending marriage to Joseph. And what is married life going to, be, going to look like for me? And, and what's it going to be like uh, to, to be married to Joseph, to, to have children, to raise a family? Uh, what is life going to look like? And, and as she's doing her work and as she's thinking about these things, uh, all of a sudden, uh, her peace uh, is completely interrupted, right, by, by this vision uh, of an angel who uh, interrupts her peace and absolutely changes her life. Uh, so let's try and think about that uh, as we listen to this story uh, from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, one of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And so the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, just imagine, if, if you can, the astonishment uh, of speaking to an angel uh, of God. Uh, an angel sent by God, you're out there at night, you're doing your chores, and all of a sudden, I don't know what that would look like. No angel has ever uh, parted the skies and spoken to me. But I just can't, can't imagine what that must look like, the glory of an angel shining down, speaking to you. Now, he identifies himself as Gabriel, and, and she might have been familiar, she probably was familiar with the angel Gabriel from uh, the book of Daniel, because Daniel had been visited by the angel uh, Gabriel, and she would have known uh, that, that Gabriel uh, was a messenger of God. And as confounded as Daniel was by some of the information that the angel uh, gave to Daniel, well, uh, Mary was about to be just as confounded uh, by what the angel Gabriel was about to tell her. Now, Gabriel did his best to calm her fears. Uh, Greetings, favored one. Uh, The the Lord has looked upon you uh, with favor. Uh, But can you just imagine the shock, the fear? You're you're knocking knees as you're encountering uh, an angel of the living God. Uh, And so uh, she, I I imagine, uh, tried to to gather herself and compose herself, but but that would be terrifying. And yet, I I think for, imagine, a 14, 15-year-old girl, she showed incredible poise uh, in the face of all that was happening to her. So Gabriel's message essentially has three parts. He's talking to her about the miraculous birth of Jesus and then the purpose of the birth of the Messiah. Why is the Messiah going to come? And then the power of God to accomplish what he will accomplish. And we're calling this message, Nothing is Impossible with God, because nothing is impossible with God. So let's talk about the miraculous birth. This is verses 30 to 32. Gabriel announced that, that uh, Mary would conceive a, a child in her womb, that, that she would bear a son, and that she would call the child Jesus. Now, by the first century, uh, it had been about 400 years since God had last spoken to any prophet at all. God had been silent for 400 years. And so probably for the last 400 years or so, just about every young girl in Israel was probably wondering if perhaps she might be chosen by God to be the mother of the Messiah. So centuries and centuries pass, uh, and, and all of a sudden this angel appears to Mary and says, you are going to bear a child, but not in the ordinary way. This child is going to be born in a supernatural a kind of way. Uh, surely this would have reminded Mary of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4, 
14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. And so we can easily imagine uh, Mary's heart beating faster and faster uh, as she begins to realize that she has been chosen to be the mother of the promised Messiah. So there's going to be a miraculous birth. There's also going to be uh, Gabriel's revelation is about the purpose for the Messiah. Yes, you're going to have this child, but, but who is this child going to be? What will he become? And so uh, in verses 32 to 33, uh, we're, we're given basically, Mary is given four pieces of information about this Messiah. He will be great. Uh, he will be called Son of the Most High. Uh, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and uh, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. So let's just think about those four pieces of information. Great is a very general term, right? We only know what great means in comparison to other things. Uh, so it's a comparative term. Uh, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player in the world compared to every other basketball player in the world, right? Well, Jesus, uh, this child of hers, would be great compared to anyone else uh, who has ever lived. That's how uh, great is intended here. He would be the son of the Most High, the Son of the Most High. Well, no one ever has been able to claim uh, to be the Son of the Most High, uh, but Jesus would be able to make that claim. Uh, he, was, he was God's own Son, born through a human mother, but still uh, the Son of God, and in fact, God himself. The Lord would give this, this uh, child of Mary's the throne of his father David. Now, that would bring to Mary's memory the promises of 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, because God had made a covenant with David a thousand years earlier. Uh, and in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, uh, it says that, uh, uh, that David was going to build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so this is God's covenant with David, uh, that a descendant of his would forever sit on uh, an earthly throne. And so this promised Messiah, therefore, would come from the line of David. He would be a descendant of David. Well, as it happens, Mary was a descendant of David, and Joseph was a descendant of David. And so Mary was qualified by genealogy uh, to be the mother of the Messiah. But there were many other young women who were descendants of David as well. So why Mary? Well, we don't know. We're not specifically told, except that the Lord looked upon her with favor. Uh, she would be the one chosen for this blessed task to give birth uh, to the one who would sit on David's throne forever, just as 2 Samuel chapter 7 promises. And then the last bit of information is that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end, which means that the purpose of the Lord's Messiah is to rule the world uh, from an earthly throne just as the scriptures promised. So all of these prophecies are being fulfilled. The Messiah will last forever. His kingdom will have no end. And this would fulfill many of the Old Testament prophecies. And for Mary to be thinking about the purposes of this child, what an incredible blessing to be chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Well... In verse 34, uh, we can assume that Mary heard uh, all of these purposes of the Messiah, but I think she's still trying to wrap her mind around conception. How exactly is this going to work? I don't understand. Uh, so she says, uh, you know, how can this be since I am still a virgin? 
And so let's just talk about the power of God to accomplish his purposes. Uh, In verses 35 and 36, the angel Gabriel says that that the Holy Spirit will come upon her uh, and uh, the power of the Most High would overshadow her. Well, Mary, what does that mean? I mean, I have no idea what these things mean. Uh, And for Mary to to be contemplating what what this means, I think all she can get from this is that this is going to happen in some way that is not natural. It's going to be somehow uh, supernatural. Somehow she's going to become pregnant without ever having known a man. Uh, And if she thought that was a lot, well, her aged cousin, Elizabeth, who has been barren her whole life, well, she is also with child and she is in her sixth month. So what do we take from this? When God sets his mind to something, there are no barriers, right? God is not bound by human limitations, human ideas. Uh, He's not bound by natural laws. Uh, He created the whole universe and everything in it. God created the laws of biology, physics, chemistry, any other natural law that you can think of, God established those laws. And if God wants to break in uh, and and, uh, alter his natural laws to accomplish some purpose uh, that he has in mind, well, he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. Uh, The power of God means that there is nothing too big for God to overcome. So as you and I sit here tonight, uh, just a few hours from Christmas morning, what problems do we have? What problems do you have as you sit here tonight uh, that may seem to you too big for God to overcome? What, what is there that you think may be too difficult or, or that there's no solution or maybe something that's been weighing you down for days or, or weeks or months or even years? Uh, what pain do you carry uh, that you think may never go away? Well, as Gabriel said to Mary in verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. So I want you to hear that tonight. Whatever it is that you're carrying, nothing is impossible with God. One thing that Christmas means is that God is powerful enough to solve the biggest problem that there is, right? He's big enough to handle all of our personal problems because he's already solved the biggest problem any of us has ever had, and that is our spiritual problem. Uh, The fact that we are unable to save ourselves and that in our own sin, we are destined for hell, but God solved that problem because we could never solve that on our own. So how did he solve that problem? That's what Christmas is all about. He sent Jesus Christ uh, to inhabit a human body, to live a perfect, sinless life that none of us could live. Uh, And when the time was was ripe, uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sin, paying our sin debt, a debt that we could not pay because we are not worthy uh, sacrifices. But Jesus, because of his sinless life, was a worthy sacrifice, uh, and God accepted that sacrifice for sin. So God solved our spiritual problem, which is much bigger than any physical problem that we could ever imagine. He's already solved the biggest problem we have. So if he can solve the greatest problem we have, he can certainly solve lesser problems that we have. So God's power to accomplish his will is limitless. Nothing is impossible with God. So what about Mary? Mary hears these words, nothing is impossible with God. And I'm sure she's thinking about that, and, and, and she's, she's contemplating that. And as Mary thinks about what the angel has just said to her, 
she's contemplating the shame of being pregnant out of wedlock. In that culture, that was, you couldn't recover from that. Uh, that, that, was, that would destroy a family. Uh, so she would be pregnant out of wedlock. Her family would bear that shame. Joseph's family would bear that shame. She thought about, how am I going to explain this to Joseph? Is he going to believe this story? I mean, who would, right? So she's got all these things running through her head. The neighborhood gossip, right? The National Enquirer of, of, the, of the times, right? They would be all over a story like this. And so as Mary contemplates all this, she gives the best possible answer that you can possibly give, right? A 14 and 15 or 15-year-old girl perhaps says, uh, may it be done according to the Lord's will. I mean, that is just a phenomenal answer from this young lady. Uh, she trusted the Lord above her own understanding, uh, above her name, above her reputation, above what they were going to say about her and her family, above any potential cost to her, whatever that cost may have been. And so this Christmas, as, as we think about this story, uh, we too would do well uh, to, to have the, the trust and the faith that Mary had uh, and, you know, it's so hard to trust the Lord when we don't understand what he's doing or why he's doing it or why he's allowing the things that he allows. We may be faced with crises of faith like Mary faced, but there are blessings in learning how to trust in the Lord and to lean not on our own understanding. Mary couldn't have known at the time all that Jesus' birth uh, was going to mean to her. She would give birth to Jesus, but she could not hold Jesus, right? Jesus was not just for her. Jesus came to be the savior of the whole world. And so uh, she would have to live with the pain of that and all that meant as that went on and the blessing of all that meant as time went on. And she would see that some would receive him and others would not. In fact, most would not. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 11 through, uh, to 12 says, He came to his own, and those were, who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So some got behind him, followed him, but most rejected him. Now Mary, for her part, as the mother of Jesus Christ, she, too, needed a savior. Isn't that something, right? Can you imagine uh, how hard it is to place your faith for your own personal salvation in the son that you bore? How difficult a thing is that uh, to have to do? But Mary needed salvation as much as we do. And so I'm grateful uh, to be uh, among uh, a room full of believers who, who love the Lord Jesus Christ and, and who have uh, been saved and trusted Jesus as Savior, uh, just like Mary did. But if there's anyone here who has not uh, made that profession of faith, uh, tonight, Christmas Eve, would be a great night for us to do that. To have received Jesus as, as your personal Savior simply means admitting that you are a sinner, uh, and that you cannot save yourself. No amount of good works can save you. Uh, you cannot do anything to save yourself because once you have sinned, uh, you owe a penalty to God that must be paid. Now, the good news is that Jesus has already paid that penalty. He already died on the cross for our sin. And all we need to do uh, to receive the benefits of what Jesus did on the cross is to simply admit that we are sinners and we need a Savior and to ask Jesus to forgive our sins. Uh, and immediately what happens is God says, I forgive you and I transfer all of your sin debt to Jesus' account and I, I transfer all of Jesus' righteousness to your account. 
And brothers and sisters, that is the best deal you could ever get. It is a deal that money cannot buy. Uh, it is a deal simply for the asking, and anybody can have it. So if you have not made that personal commitment to Jesus, now, Christmas Eve, is a wonderful time to do that. Jesus can take away our sin because nothing, nothing is impossible with God. All we need is simple, Mary-like faith. So we praise the Lord for the gift of his son of this Christmas Eve, uh, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for Christmas. We're talking about the birth of Jesus, but the birth of Jesus cannot be separated from the purpose for which he came, and that is the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, Lord, uh, we are just very, very grateful uh, for, for this entire plan of salvation. Oh, Lord, only you could have devised such a thing that you would take on the sin of the world yourself. Uh, since we could not pay this sin debt, you paid it for us. You provided the means and showed us how to receive this sin forgiveness. And Lord, we just are so thankful for it. We worship Jesus Christ tonight. We love you with all our hearts and souls. And we just pray uh, for the world, Lord, who so desperately needs Jesus, that they uh, tonight would understand what the meaning of Christmas is. And Lord, that they would come and receive salvation as well. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen.